as we continue to worship our awesome God. We were discussing this week, uh, and we kind of jokingly said, you know, don't say happy Good Friday. But it is a happy Good Friday. We call it that because it's a joyful day, and even if it's the most solemn day on the Christian calendar, it is still a joyful day. And today we celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather together on this day, and we call it Good Friday. When we look to the cross, we see that Jesus is a just and merciful substitute for us, for sinners like you and like me so that when he died for his elect, he actually bore their punishment so that we can experience no condemnation, as Paul says in Romans. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the heart of the good news. This is why we call it Good Friday. Because even though the actions that happened on this day are heavy and hard, and Hollywood cannot do it any justice, it is still a good day because it doesn't end on Good Friday. But we're not here to talk about what happens in three days. That would be giving away the story. We're here to reflect upon Good Friday and what Christ has done for us as he bore our sin on the cross. In fact, this is such the heart of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if this is not true, if Good Friday did not happen along with Easter, you may as well continue on to eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, he says. But if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Luke. And we'll be looking at Luke 23, starting at verse 26 that Peter read for us earlier. As we reflect upon this, and I'm not going to lie, as, as a pastor, I think pastors struggle with this often. Oh, here, yet again, we're going through a passage that we, everyone can probably say off the top of their memory. But I think we forget very often why this day is so good. And hopefully, not only do we reflect upon what Christ has done for us through his son, uh, through his son Jesus Christ, that we, there is no condemnation in Christ anymore, that we have been saved by the mighty work of Jesus Christ, who died for his elect we are now can go out proclaiming this very good news to other people. As we were spending time in prayer before the service, uh, someone spent time praying and, and, and mentioned the fact that so many people in our world uh, call it Good Friday and essentially it's just a holiday to get together with friends and family to eat some food, which it can be. Because for the Christian, it is a celebration. But nobody seems to, but they often don't know why it is such a joyful day. And how this whole weekend gives us an opportunity to share why it is a good Friday. And as we continue to worship God through the preaching of his word, let me pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you that we can come and we can gather in this way in person, that we can even watch online. And Lord, I pray that indeed you would use this time to glorify yourself. I pray that you would use this time, this sermon, these songs, the word that is read and preached to do what only you can do, to, to revive our hearts, to refresh our souls, and to call people to yourself. Father, I pray that this day, I pray this for all the gospel preaching churches here in London. 
who are meeting in the very much the same way we are, that you would use our faithful, often broken witness to call people out of darkness and into light. But Lord, there's no way that I can make this turn out well on my own. So Father, will you not do that? Use the sermon, Lord, for your glory, for your honor, for the joy of your people, and to call people to yourself. And amen. In verses 26 to 43 of Luke 23 that Peter read for us earlier, we see that Christ was crucified, that he is crucified in this narrative. And I'm going to call it a narrative because it's not just a story. It is a narrative. There's a difference. A story can be fantasy, but a narrative is something that's based on facts. Christ was crucified. The God who we've taken time to look through John and John 1, the God who, God who created all things and through whom all things were created is the one who is now on the cross being crucified. He is dying. And what we see as we look into this story, as we go on later on, we see this crucifixion of three people. Two criminals and the rightful King of kings and Lord of lords. They hung on a Roman cross, the most agonizing death that we can think of, to die. In this narrative, we see the contrast happening between two groups. The first are, are these Jewish leaders and these Roman soldiers in verse 35. And, they, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers, what did they do? They scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, if they only knew, if they only knew. This is showing their sinful and hateful hearts. In in contrast, Jesus does not respond in kind, but rather asks the Father to forgive them. In verse 34, just before, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as they cast lots to divide his garments. Another contrast comes up when we look at the two criminals who are, who are crucified on either side of Jesus. They are examples of two different responses to Jesus dying on the cross. One of the criminals responds with rejection and even mocking. Like the other mockers that are there, and he sees them too as well. So he probably just sees them mocking Jesus, this weak, frail man who's been nailed to the cross just like him. So he joins in and begins to mock them. As verse 39 says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us! In their mocking voice. But the contrast really comes out when we look at the other criminal. The criminal's response provides a beautiful image of the gospel call. In verse 40 to 42, it says this, But the other rebuked him, the other one who was mocking Jesus, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation... And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He is fully aware of why he is on the cross. Fully aware. There is no doubt in that man's mind of why he is there. No doubt. 
as he continues on. But this man, as he points to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The man's interaction with Jesus is marked by the humility that comes from seeing his own sinfulness and Jesus' purity. The criminal's repentance and his looking in faith to Jesus is what will grant him entrance into the kingdom of God, as we will see later on. Did you notice the response by Jesus to the man's repentance and faith as he continues on? Jesus gives this staggering and beautiful promise that the repentant man would be in paradise in the presence of the Lord that very day. As Jesus says in verse 43, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think oftentimes we spend so much time in church circles trying to figure out what that word paradise means. It does not matter right now. The fact is this, is that he will be in the presence of his Lord and Savior. Think about this with me. One criminal being crucified with Jesus mocks him, but the other criminal rebukes the other. The second criminal admits that they are both, that, that they both are getting exactly what they deserve for the crimes that they have committed, but that, the Jesus, that Jesus, the one who is crucified in between them, he is innocent. And what is amazing is that the second man makes a request of Jesus that is also a confession of faith. Remember in verse 42, and Jesus said, and he said, sorry, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, this man confesses that Christ, that Jesus, is the king, and he is also confessing Jesus as savior. He is trusting Jesus to save him. He trusts himself and his faith entirely into Jesus' hand, and his faith is well-placed. For Jesus replies, truly I say to you, today, not tomorrow, not next week, today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly, he's talking about the seriousness of what is being said. Jesus is dead serious here. And the word paradise is another name for heaven, God's special dwelling place. In the Greek, the actual word today is placed first for emphasis. This is Jesus' promise to this man. Because of his faith, when he dies, today he will be with Jesus in heaven, the place of bliss waiting for the final state of eternal life for resurrected believers on the new earth. When we look at these few verses... Something pops up. This man confesses and Jesus makes a promise. This man didn't have time to show how good he was. Did you realize that? He's literally nailed to a piece of wood. He cannot get off and start acting as good as he can in order to get into heaven. He didn't have a moral resume. He couldn't get to the gates of heaven with a list of all the good things that he did. So often we approach Jesus with a resume of all the good things we have done, but this man didn't have any of it. What we see is the requirements to spend eternity with Jesus is just open acknowledgement of my sin, repentance, a turning from my sin, a hatred of the treason that I have done to my holy God, and a trust and a leaning into the promise that God has given me through his son, Jesus Christ. 
Repent and believe are the requirements to come into the kingdom of God. Not a moral resume. Not my actions. Purely Jesus's. We are saved by grace alone. By faith in Jesus Christ. It's such an amazing picture. We see how he's repenting. He is is being convicted of the sinfulness of his sin, not the badness of his deeds, but the treachery of his heart towards God. And he trusts in faith. And faith is the wholehearted trust that God will keep his promise in the gospel. When the the criminal asks that request, Lord, remember me. And then Jesus gives the promise, today you will see me in paradise. The criminal's response is to trust in that promise as they hung on the cross, dying. That man, that criminal, had a first-hand experience of what Jesus was doing for him. As he looked to the side of him and he saw his Lord and Savior, which he confesses his Lord and Savior, he's seeing right before his face what God is doing for him. The Bible clearly says that we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all deserving of eternal punishment for our sin, our our sin, our treachery. But Jesus Christ is a just and merciful substitute for sinners so that when he died for his elect, he actually bore our punishment so that they can experience no condemnation. This is the heart of the gospel. This is why it's Good Friday, and this is why it's joyful. Think about this. When we see this thief on the cross, we see a picture of repentance and what he is doing and what he has done for us. We see the whole first notable step in the thief's repentance was his concern about his companion's wickedness in reviling Christ. He says that right there. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? The second step was a full acknowledgement of his own sin. As he says, and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. And then he confesses Christ's innocence, but this man has done nothing wrong. We see his faith in Jesus Christ's power and his will to save this criminal. He turned to a crucified sufferer and called him Lord. The man was in the same physical situation as he was. And he calls him Lord. Don't gloss over that. And he declares his belief that he had a kingdom. We see this man pray as he cried to Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and asked Jesus to save him. We see his humility. He begged to be remembered by his Lord. He doesn't talk about anything else being any greater than this. He simply wants to be remembered by Christ. That's it. He doesn't ask to be taken away from this punishment. He doesn't ask for anything else. Will you just please remember me? We, got to, we, we also see in this last point here, We should always be remembered in connection with the penitent thief. His time was very short for giving proof of his conversion. Incredibly short. But it was time well used. 
Few dying people have ever left behind such good evidence of what this man left behind. So the question for you and me is this. What do we do with the crucified Savior? Which person are you? Are you the first criminal cursing? Just like the, the religious leaders and, and the guards and the Roman soldiers cursing his only Savior? Or are you the second man who humbles himself before Christ, who is Lord and Savior? They are both rightly condemned, but only one sees his true need. As Jesus was dying on the cross, in what we would view as his weakest moments, he still has the power to save a wretched sinner like that man. The man confesses his need for a savior, and Jesus saves him, and the outcome is eternity with him. This is amazing power and willingness of Christ to save sinners. If Jesus has the power to save a sinner, when we would have viewed him in his weakest state on the cross, dying for us, I'm sure, surely, I'm not, I'm sure, surely, he can save you. No matter who you are. No matter what you have done. Christ can save you. I love Hebrews 7.25. It says this, he is able to save to the outermost those who draw near to God through him. To the outermost. And I see that pictured in this thief on a cross as he proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is joyful news for you and for me. It's not our hustle, it's not our good works, it's the work of Christ and what he has done for us on the cross that saves us. Are you resting in that? Can you see it right here in these few verses? The dying thief was nailed hand and foot to the cross. He could do literally nothing for his own soul, yet even he, through Christ's infinite grace, was saved. No one ever received such a strong assurance of his own forgiveness in this man. When you think of Jesus on the cross, how do you view Jesus? Mighty to save or weak? man dying even in his weakest estates he had enough power he had the power to save that man you think you're too far you think you've outsinned God's grace I say lies all of it you cannot outsend the grace of God does that mean you continue on sinning well that's another sermon and the answer is short is no all you need to do is repent and believe As he is on the cross, he takes a full punishment of the sin that was meant for me and for you. As he does that, he does, he he dies. As we see in verses 44 to 49, Christ died. He actually died. Jesus gives up his life. His life wasn't taken from him. As we see in these few verses, he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. As John 10, 17 and 18 says, For this reason the Father loved me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
There's a depth of meaning, no doubt in these words that we need to dwell upon. There was something mysterious that is happening with Jesus' death. This wasn't the death of an ordinary man. Don't forget that the man who was dying on the cross was not just a man, but God as well. His divine and human nature were inseparably united. His divine nature, of course, cannot die. He says himself, I lay down my life. The very person who spoke everything into existence is the one who is nailed to the cross. The religious leaders, the Roman guards, they mocked him. They told him to prove himself to them by getting down off the cross, yet missing the point completely that he was proving who he was by staying on the cross. He was the only one who could pay the price for our sin. He, as the criminal said, was innocent. By his blood, by his shed blood, we are saved. So as these people were mocking, you can hear the irony here. These people were mocking at him, trying to give him proof and missing the point. Sorry, missing the point completely. Christ is there. He is there to take the wrath of God that was due for me, for you, and he bore it on the cross. He bore it on his body. His blood was spilt. His body was broken for those whom repent and believe. Good Friday is joyous because, yes, Christ died. Not as we die when it is our time, not because he was compelled or could not help dying, but voluntarily and of his own free will. Good Friday reminds us that this was not a mistake, but it was purposeful. That so many years ago in Isaiah 53:10, we see this as Pastor Matt read for us at the opening. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Jesus died. And he was also buried, as 50, 56 says. In these next few verses, you see the reality of Jesus' death. Not only was he crucified, but he died, and then he was also buried. The reality of his death comes true. You can try and argue this, but you can't, that he didn't really truly die. There is an argument out there that says Jesus really didn't die. He was just really hurt and unconscious. And, and, and quite f- frankly, it's ridiculous. But... Just think about how he was buried. Think about those who took his body from the cross and wrapped it in linen as Joseph went to Pilate to ask for the body and he climbed up there and he's pulling out the nails of the one whom he was his teacher. As he's pulling out the nails and his arms flap to his side and his body flaps onto him and he agonizingly carries Jesus' corpse off of the cross and lays it down on the ground to, to wrap it. I think he would understand if that was a live body or a dead body. He was buried. 
Joseph would have been intimately aware of Jesus' body. His naked, bruised, bleeding body as he pulled out those nails. Think about the women who are with Joseph. Who were there with him as they touched the body. And I could just imagine that they were grieving and crying and, and looking at this body of the, of the one who was their teacher, their rabbi, the one that they thought at the time was their Lord and Savior. And we'll get to that in Tuesday, uh, on Sunday. The one who took their penalty. Just think about as they touched the body of Christ. As they watch the body, they are witness to the fact that the one they cared, carried was a corpse. Jesus died, and he was buried. Their own hands and eyes must have told them that he whom they laid in Joseph's tomb was not alive but dead. This is important and needs to be seen. If Christ didn't really die, if he didn't really die, and he did, but if he didn't, there would be an end to all the comfort of the gospel. Only Jesus' death could have paid man's debt to God. His incarnation and sermons and parables and miracles and sinless obedience to the law would have been nothing if he didn't actually die. When Adam, the first Adam, sinned against God in the garden by taking the bite of, out of that apple... The penalty was eternal death and hell for all of us because sin permeated humanity like a cancer, like poison, and it affected all of us. It affected all of us. If the second Adam, Jesus Christ, had not really and actually died in our place as well as taught us truth, the original penalty would have continued in full force against all of us and all of our children, all of us, you and me. It was the lifeblood of Christ which saves our souls. Christ died for us. So what do we do with all of this, you may ask? Why is there joyfulness in Good Friday? 1 Corinthians 15 summarizes it well. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We need to ask this question, why did Jesus have to die? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Isaiah 53.5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, brought me peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He was pierced. We transgressed. He was crushed. Praise God. 
First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins on, in his body on the tree. Colossians 2, 14, God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love this one. So picture this with me. When the spike was put against Jesus' wrists, the spike was lifted up. A document was inserted between the spike and the hand called the record of Nathan Clausen's. The record of Dave DeHaan or Keith Albion's debts is nailed to the cross. And it was driven through the record into the hand, into the wood, and that record was settled. It was paid. It was finished. This is why it's joyful. Yes, it's solemn, but it's joyful because my debts have been paid. A debt that I could not pay. A debt that I would be spending eternity paying because my sin has stripped glory from God that is deserved only to him. And I would have to pay for that stripped glory. But how do I, as a finite being, pay back the glory that's been stripped from an infinite being, God? It will take infinity to. But Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. These are glorious truths, and my heart breaks. It breaks for those who turn away from these truths and call them inconceivable or unjust. But I'm not surprised. Because Paul said in the gospel that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was a stumbling block for Jews and folly for the Gentiles. I pray for you, if you have not rested in the good news of Jesus Christ, I pray that you aren't casting these truths aside. Don't leave today without addressing these truths. Christ died for your sins. He died for them. This is why it's Good Friday. These are the truths. <clears throat> These are the truths that make it good. It was making us, and it makes us look to Easter Sunday with excitement and not despair. Today, are you resting in the joyfulness of Good Friday? Do you see it? Do you see why it's joyful for you? Why it can be joyful for you? When we look to the cross, we see that Christ is a just and merciful substitute for sinners. So that when he died for his elect, he actually bore their punishment so that they can experience no condemnation. And if this is not true, then we may as well eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But it's true. Christ died for our sins and he rose again. Are you believing in this? Are you resting in this? And I implore you, if you're not, as an ambassador of Christ, as the Apostle Paul says, I beg you this morning, be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God. Because the wrath that was poured out on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if he's not the one who's absorbing that wrath, is still upon you today. And if you were to die today, you would be faced with the full wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is our substitute. And this is why Good Friday is joyous. When we look to the cross, we see that Christ is a just and merciful substitute for sinners. It reminds me this day. It reminds me of what I have done to a holy God. And yes, that grieves me to my soul. But what God has done for me through his son Jesus Christ brings me to joy. That is what Good Friday is. That is why Good Friday is joyful. And this is why we do communion. This is why we come around the table, as we talked about last week, to reflect upon who he is and what he has done for us. As we take part in the, in the bread, well, cracker, and the juice, we are reflecting upon how Jesus' body was broken for us, how his blood was poured out for us. And because of all of that, anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior will be saved. No longer do we face eternal condemnation, but eternal life, like the thief on the cross. It's great news. It's joyful news. The thief reminds us that there's no amount of good works that will get us into the door. It's purely by Jesus' grace and his mercy. Let me pray.